1: Independent Melbourne Radio, 3RRR.
0: You're listening to Backstory on Triple R. am Mel Cranenberg. One of the major effects of trauma is its impact on memory. It distorts memory, falsifies, fractures and erases it until you can't find your way back to its origin, until everything you are is a series of responses to something that you can't remember sometimes. This seems to be, to me, to be the entire history of what we call Western civilization. That's an excerpt from Alison Crogan's new book, Monsters, a slowly uncoiling collection of essays that starts from a devastating break between siblings and quickly grows to encompass the far reaching twinned legacy of patriarchy and colonialism, and Alison's growing sense of her inherited implication in the latter. Alison joins me now to discuss her book, The Craft Behind It and the Difficult Themes That Bind It. Alison, welcome to Backstory. Hello, Mel. Lovely to be here. Now, this book has been, uh, it was really such a, an extraordinary read. It winds through themes that are of, of significant relevance to everyone who lives in this country, I would say, and in, in most of the countries affected by Western colonialism. Uh, mm-hmm. it. So it, it springs out of a very personal place. And I really wanted to talk about how you've, you've structured this book right from the start. I know mm-hmm. I'm going to get straight to the guts of the, the most yeah. interesting thing to me, which is that, you know, really when you're, you're pulling this material together, you are, you know, you're really using the fertile ground that you yourself have to then pull out themes that are of broader significance. Talk to me about where this started out. Did it start with a single essay or did you have a sort of sense that it was going to be something as big as a book?
1: Um, I think there's a real sense in which I've been writing this book for 30 years. So I've had um, earlier attempts at it and it stems from, you know, like even in my um, early 30s I was... I wrote a book called *Navigatio* that was a kind of um, attempt to look at similar themes. Not, not that successful. It was kind of partial, I think, but it was formally um, half fiction, half half autobiography. But I was it stems, I suppose, first of all from a growing focus, growing focus sense that um, about. The fractures in my own self and in my life and in my family, and how those are expressions of much bigger patterns. And it's also something I've often sort of explored in poetry. But um, actually, sitting down and writing this book is almost like it was. It, it took about three years, I think, and I knew it was going to be a book. And it was when I was writing it, I think I, I had this sense where I was like this time I'm going to really try and say it (laughs) and try and get it more right. Everything's always a a work in progress, even when it's finally a book. But um, I hope I never have to try to write this again. I think that was a a bit of a, a sense behind it.
0: Yeah, look, there's, it's really, the way you've structured it is something that I think will be familiar to literally everyone who's had any conflict in their lives because you really have used the, what your brain does when you have an irreconcilable conflict that you need to constantly, mm. or your brain just doesn't let let it go. It constantly throws no. up these arguments, these shadow arguments that you're having with an interlocutor that's not in the room, um, and then exactly. it comes back to it yeah. and comes back to it and comes back to it. And you've used these... to throughout every essay as a kind of way into these these much more, you know, widespread and complex uh, things, like really you're delving into, and, and starting with the personal as well. I, I want to sort of talk about mm-hmm. that because when you, you decided to write about this, was it um, that you decided to write about the the big issues of colonialism, of patriarchy, of how they they mm-hmm. fix your narrative, or was it this idea of like exploring uh, a sense of family and its effect on you, um, at, or was it that, that these things just seem naturally twinned in your mind? Mind.
1: It was definitely... Uh, the initial impulse was definitely both. I think it, it grew in the writing, but it was... My first thing was why, as women, um, the relationship with my sister, why, why is it... How are her relationships between women um, so full often of lateral violence and how... Why does this happen? And because I find it a very painful aspect of life in general, actually we, we see it such a lot, and and we and, and the, I have a kind of, uh, I suppose, expectation that women should be in solidarity with each other <laughs> on yeah. the basis, I think and of course that that doesn't work out a lot of the time. Often it does work out, and and you can see it, but often the, these other kind of fractures enter into it, and. And um, in all sorts of relationships, not just family relationships, but wider relationships, acquaintances and friends. And and so that was kind of a starting point. What happens to women under patriarchy? How are we shaped by patriarchy? But of course, you can't talk about... I mean, I also wanted to talk about my um, ancestry and my family because I come from this very, as I discovered during the writing and the research of this book, a very... 1,000 years of colonists. um, Mm. Literally, as far back as I went in one particular line, I went back as far as I could go with the records and I found that um, the first ancestor I could trace actually went and colonised Scotland. And it was like, okay. (laughs) That's that's, um, a 1,000 years of um, colonialisation embedded in you know the inherited psyche like what do you do with that and what can't you see because of that like how, how much of our minds and our ways of thinking shaped by this history so yes there were very there were complex um impulses behind it I mean the thing about my my ancestry is also been something I've tried, attempted to talk about before and um, so these are just ongoing questions in me trying to sort myself out, I guess.
0: Yeah, I really want to pick up um, some of those specific themes because the way you cover them is really um, extraordinary and interesting and, and actually I think incredibly helpful in sort of looking at that um, relationship that people have who are coming from a position of inherited privilege while also grappling with their mm. own personal struggles. Um, and you sort of really interrogate that very, with a very clear-eyed and quite—you um, know—you're not letting yourself off the hook in any at any no, point. No. Um, But I do want to talk about, you know, this this act of writing because you really, um, as a writer, as many writers do, and as someone with your breadth of writing um, background, you've you've been a journalist, you've been a poet, um, you've written, uh, you know, sci-fi and fantasy novels. Mm -hmm. Um, You you now are obviously, you know, you've been a critic and you're really delving into the essay form with this, something you've done before, but in a longer form. Mm -hmm. So. You know, you write at one point. Um, I can't write this story in a straight line. Even as my fingers skitter across the keyboard, nimble and fleet from decades, of flickering over thousands of words, millions of words, typing almost at the speed of thinking. I can feel myself, the me inside me, skewing my gaze so I am peering out of the corner of my eye. I want to be fair, accurate, um, honest, but some things can only be said skewed. Some things are skewed in their very being. I thought this really encapsulated the style of writing you've chosen where you Mm -hmm. are going back over things and questioning your motives uh, on paper, but you're not, you're coming back to them and um, allowing that skewedness to settle, um, then picking up the theme later on. Can you you discuss how you did this? Because you're sort of stating to the author that this is the act of writing itself but but there must have been some method to this as well these are very well managed um (laughs) do you know what I mean like there's always this this rightly disingenuity (laughs) um which is both true and also untrue so I I want to talk about that because of course there needs to be this sleight of hand that's played um, but can you discuss how you do this because there there is um a lot to be learned from how you've the kind of masterful way you've structured things
1: um well uh, this book was written... I mean, when, when I thought about this book, i it actually ended up... I thought, oh, I can write that. I've done done this for years in poetry and I just need to explore these things and do these things and, you know, write the book. And, of course, you know, I always think that before I start a book because I forget how difficult books are to write. I'd like a law or something. But this book was particularly difficult to write. And um, for, you know, obvious but probably not quite so obvious reasons as well. And it was literally me kind of trying to get to some point sometimes and just finding myself glancing off. Like Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to name some things and I still found it found myself getting in my own way all the time I mean this book was written very organically and kind of I think in the end almost with my eyes shut it was like I just you know as I said earlier I, th- I think I was writing it so I don't have to write it again
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can understand
1: um, that and, um, and I really had this really deep desire to just Name the intolerable. That's John Berger quote I put in the book, which is name the naming of the intolerable is itself the hope, and and um, that was really what drove the book. That I have to find some. I think it began out of a kind of hopelessness. And, um, uh, certainly a sense that a lot of the things around which i would structured my life and particularly my ethical life had kind of collapsed and, um, things that I believed in, I no longer believed in. And, um, so that kind of rubble was where I began with the book. So I kind of just followed the thought, obviously. That was, you know, the first draft, which I always find first drafts intensely difficult to write, by far the most difficult. And then... um, And so the book, from first draft to published draft, I mean, there's been some refinements, but really it was just about um, ordering it.
0: Mm.
1: And I was working with... I mean, it's a book I couldn't have contemplated writing without a wonderful editor because... I'm. It's the kind of book that is so hard to see outside, and um, and usually I have a quite a good editorial eye on my own work, but with this one I've found it very difficult. And so, in terms of of structuring the chapters, I just wrote it, and I think the beginning and end are the same. And the and there's a fair bit of you know just fiddling with order of things and getting rid of some really neurotic repetitions, the things that just get, got said again and again and again because uh, I, I think I, as I was writing it, I had this feeling, I have to say this, I have to say this, and then I'd say it ten times <laughs> <laughs> because I felt that I hadn't said it enough. And So, there, yeah, there's all sorts of things going on in the process, but I think that... Um, in writing itself, it, I mean, writing has always been for me an act. It's not an abstract thing. And it's it transforms you as you write um, because you begin to articulate things. And that can be good or bad. I also talk about that in the book, that you can um, create realities in writing that are, are deeply troubling. And um, so I was trying also part of part of the indirection of the book, if you like, is about trying not to create some kind of totalising reality where there's not space to think around it. and especially to get away from uh, I think the central thing in the whole book is about these binary ways we think for the very um, obscuring of realities in the end.
0: Yeah, and I think you do do that very successfully. You also really, um, because this book is certainly based in memoir as well. You're allowing yourself to go to an authentic, um, emotional place, and that that does d- very definitely feel as though it's um, you know it's coming through on the page. And I, I want to ask a little about this because everyone who delves into memoir has to grapple with these this idea of what you're. What you're putting of yourself out there, and and how oh, to push thanks. yourself um, to. A painful area, um, and then to share that and to weather the consequences. How would you, you know, recommend to someone else who was doing this, and particularly when you're dealing with things that are about what guilt do I take or assigning blame, as you do in in certain instances in this book? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do you how do you manage airing these these particularly painful things, or is there a certain catharsis in that? I'm not sure. I mean, I I don't think
1: um I don't think it's something that people should ever feel obliged to do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Alice is like, I regret everything <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's impossible to put a book
1: out like this and not feel uh completely ambivalent. Um about it being out in the world, like you know, when people tell me they've bought it, as as they are, sort so there's part of me that always goes, oh, oh dear, <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, so it's, it's a very exposing book, and um, it's it's a book that yeah, it's about difficult personal things as well as these larger things, because uh, and, and it's about both of them because. For me uh, is trying to match these patterns and I also wrote it that way because I don't think, I mean I think we're very good as white people in talking about things like racism in very abstract ways you know like but we're not very good at um, talking about how embedded these patterns are in our psyches and especially in our emotional lives and I I think they're really deeply embedded in our emotional lives and and so the kinds of defensivenesses, what people call white fragility, all come out of those places. So it was really wanting to try and explore that and see that while at the same time because you're always stepping between contradictions, going, well, you know, here I am centering whiteness again, but um, hoping I can do it in a way that's illuminating um, even to people who are totally aware of this, but um, yeah, so there's all sorts of levels going on. But yeah, it's painful, and I think you know, particularly when the book came out, I was kind of like, no,
0: it's not out there. I'm in denial. <laughs> well, uh, it very definitely is out there, Alison, and I'm <laughs> yeah, glad no, it I keep
1: is. It. Yeah, oh, thank you.
0: You're listening to Backstory on Triple R. I'm Mel Cranenberg, and I've been talking to author Alison Crogan about her book, A Collection of Inter locked essays, Monsters Are Reckoning. Here's an excerpt from a section titled The Whiteness. The pathology of whiteness is that it can't face itself. The merest glimpse of itself in the monstrous savagery of the great white shark or the polar bear generates the deepest repulsion. The self-pitying whiteness believes at its heart that it is the true victim of those who argue against the injustice of whiteness. What is a victim? Someone who has no agency, who is at the mercy of unjustly wielded power. According to the binary hinge that swings this way, that way, someone who is not at fault. Alison, we've sort of touched on um, how this uh, this book um, and the many kind of interwoven essays within it really look at this this idea of whiteness and how it is woven into this idea of, of victimhood um, and the the sort of you know, that uncomfortable um, sense that one gets that, you know, want, that wants to kind of shrug off um, a sense of fault um, and take the side mm. of the victim, that that's a real, if, you know, if this idea of, of whiteness that we're increasingly getting is one of the victimizer, then that is something that's to be repulsed. But one is drawn to this idea of victimhood. Um, you talk about mm-hmm. that within the context of Rachel Dolezal um, and her appropriation of um, mm-hmm. the, the black struggle. Um, and you also talk about it in the context uh, and, you know, constantly referential in, you know, your own sort of um, trials and tribulations with your sister. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm really interested in how you've, you've characterised this. Can you talk a little bit about this section?
1: that particular chapter or... (laughs) Yeah, just also this idea
0: of victimhood because you are playing these these lines with it that I think are really interesting because you're firstly looking at it in the context of of whiteness and how, why Mm -hmm. it is that we, that we don't identify, um, you know, one doesn't identify that way uh, or tries not to in the sense of it, because it is this, this default of humanity, um, when when it's got supremacy, which it does, (laughs) um, but, but also what, what the law of victimhood is, which, you know, you characterize in, you know, your relationship with your sister, um. So so beautifully and also your repulsion to victimhood in a sense, which I find really interesting. Yes, I think um
1: well it begins with the a central thing and I think it's there's a, a normal human response that when you're um when someone says you did this wrong thing to step back and go, no, no, you know, I didn't... The defensiveness is is a normal human reaction. Of course, we don't want to admit that we did something wrong, like who who does? And... um, But what... um, But how that's been wound into the kind of um, ideologies that go around white supremacy is a kind of um, formalisation of that um, in gigantic ways beginning like at the largest sense of the sense that i think anyone who's been raised in under the british empire will recognize that we went to these dark countries to bring the light of civilization to you know we brought trains and education and we did good things to the people you know, and that just completely erases the absolute violence and the economic violence that underlies all the invasions of the countries that Britain, um, you know, basically ruled for a, quite a long time. And this is a really common thing when in imperial ideology that we are the civilized, we we bring good things, and this myth has to be kind of upheld, because otherwise, um, you know, they'd have to admit what they're actually doing, which is exploiting, robbing, murdering the people who actually live there. (laughs) And and people don't want to um, admit that. So there's that larger pattern, and you're raised within it. Um, if, if I mean, I think we still are in, you know, America, Britain, Australia, we're all Anglo um, countries and we still have that pattern. There's hundreds and hundreds of years of um, literature and art and politics that tells us, I mean, you still see these arguments in Britain now and in the, in the whole thing of what's going on with Brexit. But that's backed up by um, things at the absolute micro level. And so I was trying to, you know, so it's impossible to, you know, at the personal level, the the presumption of white innocence is absolutely fundamental. And if anyone attacks white innocence, that is um, almost always, we see, again and again, um, becomes a thing of victimhood. We see it in the patriarchal sense too, I mean we've just seen the thing with um, what's going on in federal parliament.
0: Yeah, you've sort of looked at I think uh, with this, and I want to come back again to the way you've kind of used victimhood as well in in terms of characterising the rift with mm. your sister, which I think is really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. I, but I, but I think later on in the book you kind of again mirror this uh, this essay of white the whiteness um, by talking mm-hmm. about Orwell's. Uh, Um, anti-Semitism in Britain and how, you know, really it is that he too exposes in that um, that it is so, so, you know, steeped in the culture and that he's so steeped in the culture that mm. he cannot eschew his own anti-Semitism and you're saying mm. in that you know but yeah and yet he doesn't see his own misogyny. and you're like, you know I again I can see these things now. I can see how I've been steeped in in deep racism and everything else, but what mm. am I not seeing? And I think that yep. that's a really fascinating reflection that you're actually I've written an echoing essay, I am all well in a sense. Mm. Uh, was mm. that, you know? Again, that's a really interesting thing. That these these are recurrent themes that we can't escape unless we you yeah. know, we walk through the painful aspect of them.
1: Yeah, and it's not just that. It's, I mean, you have to deal with the painful aspect, but it's also about the pain that has been dealt to other people. I think if if you're raised within these structures, you have certain habits of mind, and I suppose I you know I'm looking at these habits of mind, which I find them incredibly destructive, and I know personally they've been very destructive to me, but um, one of the well the, the probably the biggest problem with this is that these habits of mind are intensely destructive to other people, and particularly like, You know, people of colour, Aboriginal people in Australia, um, they manifest as racism but not only as racism. And um, it's... um, So the focusing on one's own pain and one's own victimhood is a way of avoiding the pain of others. And that's what we really have to acknowledge about the um, thing of what this, privileges and in my in my family 's case, yeah I, I come from a family or parts of the family that are intensely privileged, and um, you know that whole thing about British class and all of that is is part of what 's wound through there and what what is this you know this sense that you are innately better than other people.
0: Yeah, in a sense, you're kind of, you're really characterising that um, in in the relationship you have with your sister, where, you know, this character of your sister is unable to accept blame and needs to characterise herself as the victim in this context. And you've yeah. kind of tried to, you know, and paradoxically within that, you find it difficult to take on victimhood because of what it ascribes to you as a woman. Um, yes. It's a really, it's these complicated intersectional legacies are really interesting. But I think the pain yeah. that you feel... Feel um, in this in this r- relationship with your sister is really one you're trying to say we are the perpetrators of this more broadly in mm. society. This mm. is what we do when we refuse to accept blame and characterise ourselves as the victim. Um, have I as so. the white tears as r- Ruby Hamad would have it. Yes, I mean I, I drew a lot from
1: Ruby Hamad's book, which um, t- you know names that particular. Um, thing white tears of women, who but that sense. Uh, the thing about white female innocence is absolutely fundamental. Is what's supposed to be protected by Western civilization. That which which suggests there are people who are not innocent and who deserve the, whatever pain and trauma happens. And I suppose part of the paradox is that. that in order to understand the pain of others, we also have to understand our own pain. And um, it's something James Baldwin said that, you know, about um, racial relationships in America was that uh, white people wouldn't stop being racist because if they did, if they took it all away, they would have to look at and deal with their own pain. And that is part of the problem. It's like... But what is the right pain? How do you look at it properly and without um, actually placing yourself as I am the victim of this?
0: Which is um, really, I guess, the core it's of, it's of the, core of the it's book, it's that you, you it do travel through these things. You're throwing up these ideas. You're not just letting them sit uncomfortably and, and refusing to address it. Ultimately, you come to a place in an essay or in a section entitled The Labyrinth um, where you mm-hmm. say, I'm not interested in writing a mere culpa Rather, you are interested no. in unlearning racism. And I think that this is the, the core of, of what you come to here is that, in fact, this is the journey that you're going on is unlearning the structures that have bound us, um, unlearning the structures that have more importantly bound others um, in within that, that context. But to unbound, unbind oneself in order to do that um, and your own personal um, narrative around that as well. It's a it's a yeah. really good moment I think in the book where you start to go okay, you know we're I can feel there that that this is where the the you know you're becoming unstuck. To it's the, mm. these are definitive statements that you make all throughout that paragraph. Um, mm. I'm not you know it doesn't feel like you're hiding from it.
1: I don't want to hide from it. I mean, um, it, and it's also that thing of speaking as a white person. I'm so aware that it's in progress Uh, like it is never something that you finish doing because trying to unlearn things that are so fundamentally part of your psyche and so fundamentally part of your history and you know your childhood how you were formed is uh, this constant active trying to be aware trying not to slip back into old patterns and um and it's ongoing. It's not something that ever finishes, especially in how things are right
0: yes, now. Absolutely. Alison, I, I do want to come back again, as I always do, uh, to to some of the structural elements again that you've used to support these mm-hmm. things throughout the book because there is an absolute wealth of research here. It doesn't feel shoehorned in. It does feel like you've kind of, you know, you've tried to get you know, to have structure without overdoing um, trickiness of of essays. Um, you've mm. used poetry, both your own and others. Um, you've used uh, quotes from other essays, other books. Uh, you've also used some subtle structural elements, like you have on page two forty two, uh, with with the kind of like breaks in. You know, you've got a. a bit of white space that you've left there to show silence um, I want to talk mm. about that what is the you know because again you've you've said you've written this quite organically and mm-hmm. it certainly hangs together really really nicely but I think for those who really are not uh, familiar with the art of the essay and how one goes about doing things what what was your approach when you were you, you were pulling this together
1: okay well um, everyone writes differently and I tend to write from uh, beginning to end, so I know people who write things in all sorts of different orders. I can't quite do that, so I just start down, at start writing, and obviously I have certain ideas in train or things that I imagine I'd like to do. Books never turn out how you quite imagine them, but it's um, I kind of follow where the thought goes, and with this book. There's, I mean, I, I talk about in the book how, um, you know, I've always had that thing about never having gone to university, so I was kind of, but always being a voracious reader and following um, how, you know, where my particular interests lead me. And the book, I guess, kind of reflects how I think. So, um, Actually, I think it literally does that, that uh, I just follow that along, and then and i I'm sure it's because you know if you like, my training as a writer was as a poet, I was a poet first, and um poetry's kind of like high altitude training because <laughs> <laughs> you know it's quite hard to do and um and you are really aware particularly aware of how form the form of something affects the thought of it and that and that's something I'm always been aware of as a writer. I think a lot about the formal um shape of things it's probably what I think about most, especially when I'm writing things really that are really quite painful to write because it is kind of can trick yourself into writing painful things that way but it's also because the I didn't want to write an essay in the you know like academic sense or the I mean I don't like as I said I don't have the training and um, but I also feel a suspicion of that kind of logically ordered um, writing that um, kind of brings a whole world view with it does that make sense absolutely And I I wanted to resist that. I wanted to resist that kind of authority that goes with that kind of writing, and I wanted to break it because that's part of the problem. (laughs) So Mm. I I wanted to unshape it. I wanted it to be indirect, and I wanted it to move between things that people might otherwise think are incongruous. And um, so, yeah, so the that's kind of how it was the thinking shaped it as i went along but it was also kind of just emotional things like literally oh this is beginning to feel like an essay and i'm making an argument but i don't want to make an argument in that way so i'd stop it <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, that's, I really, yeah, I see what you're saying. So you're really, you're trying to get to the, the truth of it and arguing with yourself about, the, you know, the tyranny of form. Um, throughout. I, I do did wonder as I was reading this, I thought you could, you know, you are a fiction writer as well and there's so much in this that easily could be um, the basis of, fiction um of exploring these themes in a way that's sort of I guess putting a few layers between you and it um so yeah. I'm interested in why you decided to to put yourself on the spike of nonfiction, um as opposed to I mean I'm not saying that, that that it is at all easy to write such a a fiction tome but but I am interested in what made you choose to to approach the topics this way. Well. That's actually an interesting question because I've written a lot of fiction and weirdly
1: I can't write realist fiction. I <laughs> when I do write fiction I like I write I make up the whole world and I like making up the whole world and you know I, I like creating their kind of big metaphors but they aren't actually you know they they might look realist but they've had places with magic or you know things like that but when I you know every now and then I've had an idea to try and write a realist novel and I never can and I don't know why it just doesn't work that way but um it always reads really flat to me and with no life so I think um this book definitely emerges out of yeah, the poetry I've written over the last, mm. you know, however many years and, and and that's how it comes out is um, not it has to be non fiction. I can't seem to write it that in that way. I can I can address these themes, yeah, in fantasy novels and have and, you know, whatever else I've written, but um, if I'm going to write about it directly I can't do it in a realist way. I don't know why. It just won't work.
0: Well, what is this no i know i no, it's a great answer like i think um I think also you know it is like these these are things that when they they come to you perhaps it is best to say it straight to say or say it unstraight as in your particular approach um I think you are giving people this this real um like sense of what it is to grapple with these huge things uh and on a level that does connect with the personal so I feel like it does really um you know I I don't know that hiding it within the sort of um you know the story that is required in fiction would really necessarily help um I think that this direct approach certainly has worked for me I am wondering where you will head now though Uh, are you um (laughs) are you just as you said have you just written it to have gotten it out of you or gotten it out of I the way so. uh, but what would you do you feel like um you now can't go back to the essay form or, or are you inspired to now use this for for further kind of explorations
1: do you know i haven't thought about that at all i mean
0: <laughs> what are you doing now Alison? <laughs> you've just poured <laughs> yourself letting... out on the page i want more <laughs> i'm writing a really fun middle grade <laughs> <It> so <sounds laughs> <a lot. laughs>
1: <laughs> about a child magician so that's what I'm currently doing and um, and uh, yeah that's listening to a, a voice that's kind of popped up that is, doesn't seem at all like me and I'm really enjoying it yeah. so um, <laughs> but in terms of writing essays I, I mean I'll you know I mean, I, I, I'm a critic and I write critical essays and and um, that's always been, actually, since the beginning, maybe the foil of, for the, po- the poetic part of me, and it's always been part of the pattern of how I write since I was a kid, actually. And so there will definitely be more essays, but I don't know. Of I, I seriously doubt there will be an essay of this kind.
0: Well, Alison, this uh, has been—it's such a pleasure to talk to you. I really—I feel as though I want to delve back into your book to explore the map of uh, of where you have travelled with it, and I think it's certainly one that does make us all look in the mirror. Um, so, thank you very much for your time and for well, your book.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: That was uh, Alison Crogan, whose book uh, Monsters is out now through Scribe, independently yours, Triple R.